David Fincher's latest film will be hitting Netflix soon. And public service announcement, it's called The Killer about an assassin. It's not The Killers about the recording of 2004's Hot Fuss. So adjust your expectations accordingly. I probably should have adjusted mine. Hello, everybody, and welcome to my review of David Fincher's The Killer, which is his follow-up to 2020's Mank. And like Mank, this will be available for most people on Netflix. It's in limited release now theatrically. It hits Netflix on November 10th. Michael Fassbender plays a professional assassin known only as The Killer who finds himself both predator and prey after a hit takes an unexpected turn. The Killer is largely voiceover as the main character takes us through his life as an assassin in the first 15 or 20 minutes minutes are really kind of an inside look at the tedium of being an assassin, this idea of the monotony day after day, which is really only punctuated by the possibility that at any moment you may have to literally pull the trigger. I find music a useful distraction, a focused tool keeps the inner voice from wandering. I like this opening act. I think the quiet of it really sets the stage for the chaos that follows. And it doesn't hurt that Michael Fassbender is an immensely talented actor who's actually able to hold his own for a large amount of solo screen time. As the film goes on, we get to meet more of his associates and clients and all of these different people. But this movie is squarely centered on Michael Fassbender and his character. I think he's in literally every single scene of the movie, which is pretty impressive. One thing that I think is really great about this subjective approach is it brings into play the idea of a code or how you conduct business if you are a killer who deserves to die, who doesn't deserve to die, how do they deserve to die. And I think that by keeping the movie from the point of view of only one character, then we don't really have to grapple with the moral gray area of this. There's no authorities trying to catch the person. You don't really see the effects of what happens. There's really no attempt to take on the broad broader societal impact of what he does. It's just the day-to-day, moment-to-moment life of this one person. David Fincher's been developing this project for over a decade. He reteams with Andrew Kevin Walker, the writer of Seven, along with cinematographer Eric Messerschmidt, who shot Mank, and composers Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. And given the team that he's put together, again, you would think that this would feel like the most David Fincher movie that we've seen in a while. But in a strange way, it kind of feels the least like the David Fincher that we've gotten to know. And this isn't a negative criticism on the movie. I just found it to be somewhat curious, given the fact that he's returning to a lot of these former collaborators. If you hadn't told me who directed The Killer before I saw it, I'm not really sure if I would have guessed that it was David Fincher. And I think a lot of it has to do with the look of the movie. It's a lot slicker, a more, for lack of a better word, digital than many of his other movies. And I know that he shot on digital before, but I think it's just the overall look of the film. Even if he's shooting on digital in the past, it still has this sort of David Fincher haze. I don't really know quite how to describe it. The David Fincher look, and there's a little bit of it in the movie, but it feels a lot crisper and cleaner, and it may be an effort for him to try something new. I don't know if he was trying a different camera. And again, this isn't necessarily a negative. I just thought that this was a lot sleeker in its look than you often see from David Fincher.
The filmmaking itself is excellent. As I mentioned, a lot of the story is voiceover-driven observational storytelling as the killer moves from one place to another. If the visuals weren't engaging, the movie would have been pretty dry, so I have to give full credit to Fassbender here as well. He's often still, but there's no point where he's doing nothing on screen. There is a difference in stillness on screen and just doing nothing, and it has a lot to do with presence. If you have a great actor, he can sit at a table listening, and you can see five or six different things that he's doing. Doing, and that's what Michael Fassbender is doing. Even when he's not talking, he's still interesting to look at. That's not a very easy thing to do as an actor. Fassbender's physicality matches the voiceover in most places, so you can actually feel like you're hearing his thoughts. A lot of people might write this off as an easy performance because he quote-unquote doesn't have to do much, but I think it's almost more complex to craft a performance like this than it is to craft a dialogue-heavy, very showy performance because you have to use different tools. The stillness in the movie makes these explosions of violence pop even more, and there's one fight scene that's sort of the centerpiece of the movie. It is brutal and yet still realistic. It is the literal embodiment of the phrase, a fight to the death. If you ever wanted to see what an actual fight to the death might look like, you're gonna get a chance to see that in the movie. And it is a great combination of low light cinematography, stunt performance and stunt coordination, the acting from Fassbender and his partner in that scene. And I liked that you could combine that, that you could have this great, brutal, awesome fight sequence in this movie that is also very meditative in parts and very procedural as far as what it is to be an assassin and how he reacts to all of these different situations. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. The killer's biggest weakness, I think, is its third act. This movie heightens the stakes. It escalates the tension masterfully throughout. It seems to be building to something that is much bigger than what we eventually get. It's kind of like riding along with somebody and they're like, oh boy, we are going someplace that you are not going to believe. And so you're on this ride, this epic journey. And then when you get to the end of the journey, you arrive at a Chili's, which don't get me wrong. I love Chili's. It's not necessarily that you took me to a Chili's. It's just that this journey was built up so that maybe we were going somewhere other than Chili's. Chili's is great. I just didn't quite think that was the end destination for this movie. But the buildup is great, including a two-hander scene between Fassbender and another acclaimed cast member that proves that sometimes all it takes to make movie magic is to put two great actors across the table from each other. Expectation is a very difficult thing to grapple with. And when you're a director who only makes a movie every few years like David Fincher, then the expectations are going to be put even more on every film that you make. I don't think The Killer is one of Fincher's best films, or maybe one of his most memorable films. I think perhaps that it will be written off in many circles as lesser Fincher, but I also think it's the kind of movie that 20 or 30 or 40 years from now, when the next generation of film academics are going back and studying the works of former filmmakers, it's going to be one of those movies that they watch and they go like, oh, well, what, what did people talk about? This was actually a really good movie. 
I do wonder how the experience is going to translate at home versus in a theater. I was lucky enough to see it in a theater, and there is an immersive quality because it's very much a first-person kind of movie in many places. Is that effect going to be the same when you're watching it at home? I'm not quite sure, but I don't think it really changes the mechanics or the fundamentals of the movie. Regardless of how you see it, I think it's definitely worth your time, and it lands squarely in the it's good category on my personal scale. Obviously, it would be great to hail this movie as a masterpiece and a return to top form for David Fincher. But as I said when I reviewed Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, I think that we as film fans have to give our great directors permission to make good movies alongside the great ones that we all know that they're capable of making. So those are my thoughts on The Killer. What do you think? Will you be checking it out on Netflix when it streams next week? Let me know down in the comments below. And as always, thank you so much for watching me here on the channel. Be sure to stay tuned for more movie news, reviews, box office, and more. Until next time, stay safe, and I'll see you then. Bye.